The following program does not necessarily represent the views and opinions of Reality Radio 101, its advertisers and sponsors, or its listening audience. Listener discretion is advised. This episode of the Urban Forestry Radio Show has been brought to you by Stark Brothers Nurseries and Orchards. Two centuries of fruit tree expertise. Welcome to the Urban Forestry Radio Show, here on Reality Radio 101. In this radio show and podcast, we learn about fruit trees, permaculture, arboriculture, and so much more. So if you love trees, and especially fruit trees, or if you're interested in living a more sustainable life, then this is the place for you. I'm your host, Susan Poisner of the Fruit Tree Care Training website, OrchardPeople.com. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Urban Forestry Radio Show with your host, Susan Poisner. To contact Susan live right now, send her an email in studio101 at gmail.com. And now, your host of the Urban Forestry Radio Show, Susan Poisner. Sometimes you try to do everything right, and you still don't get the best results. Years ago, I planted a bed of espalier apple trees in my garden. I watered and fed the trees regularly. I protected them from pests and diseases. I lovingly trained my trees to grow up along trellis wires so that they would form a beautiful two-dimensional fruiting fence. But one day I noticed that one of my little apple trees had some weird looking bumps on its trunk. And each year those bumps got a little bit bigger and a little bit weirder looking. They started to look like these strange little mini cauliflowers forming on the trunk of my apple trees. Clearly, I was a bit freaked out. Well, it took some time and research, and while I still don't have a definitive answer, the problem could be a disease called crown root gall, which affects apple trees, roses, and a lot of other woody plants. And guess what? This is a disease that lives in the soil, and it's said to be caused by a nasty strain of soil bacteria. And the scary thing it's that if it is crown root gall, it can spread really easily to my other trees. If that's the case, it's best for me to enjoy my espalier apple trees now, because they might not live that long. So that's the sad story for today. There is a happy story today too, and that is that nasty soil organisms are in the minority in most soils. Most of the organisms that you'll find in healthy soil will actually be helpful to your plants. The question is, is your soil teeming with beneficial organisms? If not, how can you boost the microbial action underground? On the show today, we'll talk about three steps to inviting more good guys to set up shop in your soil. My guest today is researcher, agronomist, and certified crop specialist, Simon Neufeld of Earth Alive Clean Technologies. Simon works with conventional farms, helping them to transition to organic growing. He also works with organic farms to help them increase productivity. And for him, improving the soil is at the top of the agenda. So now, during the show today, you may have questions, you may have comments, or you may just want to reach out to say hi. We'd love it if you did so. Just send us an email at instudio101 at gmail.com. If you do write in, we will enter you into into today's contest to win a 425-gram bag of Earth Alive's Soil Activator and a packet of their Root Rescue Transplanter, valued at a total of $35. So email us right now to enter the contest. It's instudio101 at gmail.com. Okay, are you ready to get your hands dirty? On the line is Simon Neufeld. Simon, welcome to the show today. 
Thank you, Susan. It's great to be here. I'm so happy to have you. So, Simon, a lot of us think of soil just as dirt, just as dirt. It's a place where we can plant our trees and our perennials. But to you, it's more than that, isn't it? What does soil mean for you? Oh, I've I've heard that before, and uh, it's true that it's a it's a well established uh, myth that the soil is just the place that holds the roots in place. Uh, it's the stuff that holds the plant there while the wind blows, I guess. Um, and everything else the plant needs to grow, we better put in there for it because it it can't come from the soil nat- naturally. Um, that is not the philosophy I approach soil from, and that that we at Earth Alive approach the soil from. The soil is actually a living ecosystem full of um, microscopic organisms that help the plants to grow. They're circulating nutrients. Uh, they are helping stimulate plants to grow roots in a certain way. And uh, they're just generally uh, mobilizing the systems in the soil that help the plant to grow. So does all soil, uh, you know, I've heard the term dead soil. Is there really such a thing as dead soil where it is just dirt and there are no microorganisms, there's no activity? Can, does that happen on this earth? Uh, probably not. Uh, when you consider that even um, surfaces around our house that we think are very clean will still have uh, microorganisms living on them um, and uh, and and surviving over the years, even though we clean them very diligently, um, the soil is the same way. There will always be uh, organisms living in the soil. Um, the, the question is really, what's the level of activity? Um, what kinds of organisms are there? Are you representing the different sort of functions that you need in the soil to really get the, or, uh, the nutrition circulating and available to the plant? Um, and so it's, it's sort of a, a question of quality and quantity, not not presence, absence. So I have a question from Christopher from Toronto. So Christopher asks, to what, how can I determine to what degree the soil that my apricot tree is in is alive or dead? So how do you know if, if your soil is quite active and there's lots of stuff going on? Or will you see any evidence of one thing or the other? There are general rules of thumb you can follow to, um, to get a good sense of whether your soil is alive uh, and vigorous. Um, generally speaking, that sort of quintessential soil smell uh, that, that you get from, I mean, you probably would recognize it when you smell it, when you dig up a handful of earth and it has that, that rich uh, smell. That's the smell, actually, of the uh, organic matter um, there are sort of volatile compounds in the organic matter that are released. And, and when you have that organic matter um, and that scent, that, that smell coming out of the soil, that's a good indicator that, that the soil has that natural fertility and uh, biological activity. Um, if there are more methodological or, or scientific, oh, I won't say scientific, but there are a little bit more of uh, in-depth ways of measuring. Some people will monitor the earthworms in their soil because as earthworm populations increase, that's usually an indicator that all of the microscopic organisms microscopic organisms in the soil are also increasing. Um, and so you can kind of use that as a long-term monitoring tool to sort of count the number of worms in the soil and, and use that as a, as a benchmark. I love how you talk about, I've always wondered about the smell of soil, um, and sometimes you get it, sometimes you don't. You know, after rain, sometimes there's a certain smell. Would that, again, be linked to that activity? or? Yeah, basically there are... There are um, compounds in a healthy, rich soil that, that are easily, that, that, that evaporate or that uh, get released into the air uh, when it's moist and has oxygen and has that biological activity happening. And that smell that you're smelling is, is, that, uh, is that effect. Hmm. Interesting. So let's go now with our microscopes into the soil. And I want you to introduce all the characters down there. Tell me, maybe not every single one, but tell me a few, what are the different types of creatures that we would find in the soil that we want there, that we don't want there? Who are we going to find in our soil? Yeah, basically we have a few key categories of organisms that are down in the soil. Um, they kind of progress from smallest and most, uh, most populous. To, and as they get larger, there are uh, fewer of them. 
So at the smallest level, you have bacteria. Those are those tiny little single-celled organisms. Um, you'll hear a lot about antibacterial soaps and things. Um, and it's true that there are some bacteria that will make you sick, but uh, generally speaking, the soil is very full of um, bacteria, like maybe um, billions in a gram of soil. And then as you go up from there, you get into organisms like fungi, where you might only have a million of them in a gram of soil. Um, but the size of those organisms are quite a bit bigger, so the amount of actual mass of fungi in the soil can be higher than bacteria. Um, as you go up from fungi, you get into the algae, um, and you may have heard of like blue-green algae, which are able to uh, bring nitrogen out of the air and into the soil, um, there are, or into oceans, blue-green algae. Um, but you also have uh, other algae that are living in the soil and, and uh, eating the fungi and eating the bacteria and, and that sort of thing. Um, the next level up would be the protozoa. These are uh, organisms that may only be in the soil like at around 10,000 per gram. So you can see like a bacteria, there's a billion. Uh, protozoa, there's about 10,000. Um, and then the nematodes are the, the, uh, the biggest, I, I would call them the biggest microscopic organism in the soil. They're basically worms that are just a bit too small to see with the naked eye. You can see them under the uh, microscope and these worms can do really interesting things um, in the soil in terms of uh, trapping and, and uh, capturing um, disease-causing fungi and, and things like that. Um, and they're only, you know, on average around a thousand nematodes in a gram of soil. So you've got from a thousand to a billion between the nematodes and the bacteria. That's... Each one has a different role and it's kind of a giant uh, web of interactions. Everybody's kind of doing their thing and and eating each other and hunting each other and uh, giving up their nutrients to other organisms in the in the web. Wow. Now I want to backtrack just a bit. We started with bacteria. We got one billion in how much soil would you say? Like a gram. In one gram. In one gram of soil. Then you spoke of um, algae and fun fungi. What what how much would we get in the of them in in one gram of soil? Uh, in a gram of soil, you might have about a million fungi organisms. One so million compared to bacteria, it's between a million and a billion. Right, holy banoli! <laughs> Amazing yeah, to think. As a as a sort of a perspective um, shifting exercise, the the fact is that in a teaspoon of good healthy soil, there would be more organisms in that teaspoon of soil than there are humans on the entire planet. Wow. That's pretty incredible. That's a lot. Um, so we got an interesting question here, and I'm going to say the person's first initial is P because I don't have their name, but they they write here, Hi, Susan, love your radio show, listening from NYC. Are there any pathogens or diseases in soil, like mold, etc., that are harmful to humans? Thank you. I find that a very interesting question, actually, because... Uh, you hear people say that it's good for kids to stick some soil in their mouth, you know, don't worry too much about it. So what would you say? Well, I would say, I mean, it's always good to be careful. Um, and um, I would also say it really does depend on the soil and what's been added to it over the, over time. Uh, obviously, um, you know, you're in New York City. Um, a lot of older cities have a history of using things like paints and stuff that uh, have lead in them. And so um, I, I used to live in St. John's, Newfoundland, which is, you know, one of the oldest cities in North America. And uh, basically nobody grew food in their gardens because the soil was toxic mm -hmm. due to all of, the, uh, all of the leaded paint that was used. People would just paint their houses using ship, ship paint. <laughs> Because it was cheap. But anyway, the point is, uh, as far as that goes, I would say, you know, caution when, uh, you know, not eating <laughs> soil, uh, assuming that it's good for us. Um, and the other thing on the biological side, um, soils that have had um, maybe improperly composted uh, manure and things like that um, can have... Um, pathogenic organisms that are bad for people. You will hear about things like E. coli outbreaks or salmonella outbreaks from people eating spinach or lettuce, and that's usually a result of um, animal manures being added to the soil without having been properly composted, and so those pathogenic organisms can be 
passed on through the food to the person who's eating the food. Um, so I think that's the that's the other sort of caution I would say. Um, but in a in a healthy uh, healthy well managed carefully um, you know tended garden soil, uh, you know you wouldn't have to worry too much. The, the, the chances of getting sick from what's just sort of in the environment in that soil would be pretty low. Well, I think that's very relevant because we've got a question here from Peter from Toronto. Peter writes, hi, wow, I'm now afraid to touch my soil. (laughs) Anyway, anyhow, should we always wear gardening gloves when working with soil? Well, okay. So, I mean, I I certainly did not want that to be the take-home message. Garden soils are are great. They're very healthy and, um, and, you know, the... the, uh, the amount of times we've heard of these kinds of disease outbreaks, usually it's from large industrial kind of farming operations where uh, the checks and balances are a little harder to maintain. Um, and they also are very rare. Like these kinds of things happen very rarely. Um, so as far as gardening goes, uh, I, I would say wearing gloves is personal preference. Um, but, you know, you can you can get soil tests that will, will look for pathogens and we'll look for um you know heavy metals and things and they don't have to be that expensive um heavy metals don't change very much over time so you know you spend one you you spend money on that test once and you'll know that it's um you'll you'll know what the situation is you'll be confident that the soil is safe and and you can um you can use it for your garden yep so interesting. I'm glad that they started that the question started on that side because we're talking about ooh the scary stuff about soil. And yet in my introduction I talk about I am understanding that most of these little creatures whether they're eating each other and hunting each other whatever they're doing they're actually offering us amazing services while they live their brutal and short lives. <laughs> yes. So tell me a little bit about why are we so happy to have so much going on in our soil? Well, it's true. I mean, really, it's less than, uh, it's, it's, it's an infinitesimally small number of the organisms in our soil that can cause plants to get sick, uh, and it's an even smaller percentage that can make a person sick. It's like, uh, you know, 1% of 1% of 1% kind of thing. Um, the overall majority of the organisms in the soil are providing services to our plants. You know, if you think about um, plants, when they're eating the nutrient or absorbing the nutrients out of the soil, um, they aren't absorbing organic matter directly. They're not absorbing that fertilizer granule that you that you put in the soil directly. That 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 nutrient source needs to be converted into a source or into a form that the plant can use. And most of the time, that transition from an unavailable to an available form happens because of some kind of biological process in the soil. That's mediated by a bacteria or a fungi or that sort of thing, um, and as it, it's it's all kind of part of what they call the soil food web. Uh, I kind of alluded to that earlier. That there's all of these organisms um, eating the organic matter, dissolving the um, the, the uh, soil particulates into their constituent chemical properties, absorbing those nutrients into their their cell tissue, uh, and then dying or getting eaten by something else and releasing those nutrients into the soil where the plant can then use them. And the more that you get that activity going and circulating and, and uh, cycling, the more the, the, the sort of natural fertility of the soil can be utilized by the plant. Mm-hmm. And it, it's reminding me a lot these days, everybody's talking about, you know, yogurt and stuff has friendly bacteria that will help you digest the rest of your food. And if for whatever reason, let's say you have to take antibiotics and it kills all the friendly bacteria, then your digestion won't be very good. So once when I spoke to you, you, you talked to me about how soil is like the stomach of a plant. Plants don't have stomachs. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so to explain that to me. Sure. I mean, well, okay, so if you want to think about this in a sort of a graphic way, really the human body is uh, a, a, a tube that is open at both ends. So if you think about the, the our digestive system is technically on the uh, quote-unquote outside of our body. Um, and the, the food that we eat sits in our stomach and gets broken down by the probiotics in our stomachs. And then 
as the nutrients that the probiotics release into our stomachs uh, are absorbed by the stomach, they're incorporated into the inside part of our body. Now, a plant isn't a tube. It's like uh, the, the roots are the inside and the soil is the outside. And everything in the soil around the roots is kind of like the stomach. The, 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 uh, the volume of soil that the roots are occupying, um, that's kind of the, the stomach of the plant. Um, and all of that digestion that's happening in the probiotics that, that the plant can take advantage of are in the soil, um, close to, next to, beside, or even like uh, forming a bit of a glove around the roots of the plant. So it's a real partnership. It's so interesting. Uh, we've got an email from Riley. Hi, Susan. Very interesting show today. A question. Are the garden soils that we can buy at gardening stores, in bags, for instance, good for gardens? If so, are they actually better than our natural soil in our yards? Thanks, P.S. I live in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Yeah, like, that's interesting. When I get a bag of garden soil, does it have all this stuff in it? All the the nice bacteria and fungi and protozoa and all that good stuff. I mean, is it better than what we have in our own gardens? Uh, Well, that will really depend. Um on you know the garden <laughs> and uh and also i mean there are diff- definitely different kinds of bags of soil and there will be different levels of, of quality that you can get um generally speaking a bag of garden soil unless it says sterilized on it will have something living in it but the diversity might be fairly low and it might just sort of be by fluke that there's uh something living in it still it won't be that the that the manufacturer has gone out of their way to make sure that it's well stocked, um, and so there are. But there will be some manufacturers who are adding specific organisms uh, to the soil, to their bag soil, to make sure that you know there's some sort of life available by the time it gets to the grower. Uh, it's kind of hard to guarantee that that organisms. Um, survive that process uh, and all the storage and the freezing and the thawing after they're put in the bags. But, uh, well, you're in Oklahoma, maybe it doesn't uh, freeze as much as it does for me up here in Canada. But um, the point is that, uh, generally speaking, when you're bringing home soil from a garden center, uh, my general thought is assume that it's not um, going to be perfect and, you know, you can take steps to improve it once you bring it home. And I think that's that's a great lead into we will be talking about next um, the three steps to ensuring that there is lots of activity in your soil and that your your plants are getting the benefit and therefore you're getting the benefit of healthier plants, healthier trees. So, Simon, what do you say we take a minute to hear a word from our sponsors? And are you okay holding on the line for a second? Okay, so coming up to after the break, we are going to talk about the three steps to having lots of healthy microbial life in your soil. So that's what's coming up. In the meantime, you are listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show and Podcast, brought to you by Stark Brothers Nurseries and Orchards. This is RealityRadio101.com. I'm Susan Poisner, and we will be back right after the break. Stark Brothers is primarily a direct-to-consumer marketer of fruit trees, berry plants, nut trees. We do this on a national basis. We're the largest as far as what we do, and we've been doing it for 200 years. The company started in 1816 when James Hart Stark brought his family and a satchel full of apple science across the Mississippi River, settled here in what is now Louisiana, Missouri. The big first apple for Stark Brothers was the Red Delicious Apple, and it started in 1893. And then 20 years later, in 1914, the Golden Delicious Apple was mailed to the facility here. Two-thirds of all the apples eaten in the world today are cousins of these two apples. Essentially, they have the DNA of the Red Delicious or Golden Delicious Apple in their DNA. We have about eight acres of warehouses, and we have between 350 and 400 acres of field production going on every year, which is split into two crops, the crop you're budding and the crop you're selling. 
We have about five acres of greenhouses. We offer a wide variety of products. We're growing woody fruit trees, small fruits, raspberries, blueberries, knockout roses, kiwis. There's always a new product coming out or a new technique. E-commerce has changed our business model completely, and we recognize we're open 24-7, and the customer wants their merchandise faster and sooner than they ever have. What works well with us is that, one, we're centrally located, that 75% of our customer base is within two days' time in transit. We'll send an email on a Monday, and if you place your order today or tomorrow, you'll be planting this weekend. Stark Brothers Nurseries and Orchards. Learn more at starkbros.com. Hi everyone, it's Susan Poisner from OrchardPeople.com. Did you know I'm offering a free mini fruit tree care course to you this month? It's called Fruit Tree Fundamentals and you can check it out at OrchardPeople.com workshops. I'll share some of my top fruit tree growing tips with you and give you a few bonus ebooks as well. So check out my free online video course this month at orchardpeople.com workshops. Growing fruit trees is about giving and receiving. You offer your fruit trees correct hands-on care, and they'll thank you with organic harvests for years to come. Enjoy your fruit trees. Welcome back to the Urban Forestry Radio Show with your host, Susan Poisner. To get on board, send us an email right now. Our email address is instudio101 at gmail.com. You're listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show brought to you by Stark Brothers Orchards and Nurseries on Reality Radio 101. I'm Susan Poisner, author of the award-winning fruit tree care book, Growing Urban Orchards, and creator of the fruit tree care training website, orchardpeople.com. So today, we are talking about soil. More importantly, we're talking about the ecosystem in your soil. We're learning about the many organisms that live in our soil and that help us every single day by helping to provide food for our trees and plants. Some of these organisms in the soil also help by attacking soil pathogens, protecting our plants from pests and disease. My guest today is researcher, agronomist, and certified crop advisor, Simon Newfeld of Earth Alive Clean, Clean Technologies a company that develops and distributes microbial-based products for organic growers. Now, if you're listening to the show live, you are definitely going to want to participate in today's contest. Email us now with a question or a comment, and you can win a bag of soil activator from Earth Alive and a packet of their root rescue transplanter. The total prize value is $35, so email us at instudio101 at gmail.com and do remember to include your first name and where you are writing from. So back to my conversation with Simon Newfeld. So Simon, in the first part of the show, we talked about soil and what's going on inside it. We learned about all these beneficial organisms in the soil and the role that they play in keeping our trees and plants healthy. Now, when you're working with organic farmers and, you know, you want to help them improve productivity, what is that three-step approach you were you had mentioned to me? What are those steps? Yeah, it's, it's essentially uh, those three steps are to create a good home for the uh, organisms, to stock the refrigerator well with food that they like to eat, and then invite the kinds of organisms to live there that you want to see. So let's start with creating a good home. How can I make my soil a really nice home for these little guys to come and do their thing? The number one thing for organisms in terms of creating a good habitat for them is organic matter. Um, and so common uh, organic matter sources would be things like compost um, and uh, other sort of peat and, and uh, mulch kind of products. 
getting that down into the soil creates aeration so that there's oxygen um, and it helps create that structure that helps to hold moisture in place so that they have uh, just a really nice environment for them. Uh, if you've planted your, your trees in a spot that seems to be in a puddle every spring, that's the kind of thing that's not, it, it's, it's a bad architecture, so to speak, for the organisms. And so creating some kind of drainage solution to get the water off the soil quickly in the spring so that it doesn't pond uh, or after a heavy rain, it doesn't, it doesn't become uh, saturated. Um, that can be really good for the organisms in the soil. So just to clarify, do the organisms need oxygen? Do they need nice, loose soil in order to, I don't know, breathe? Or yes. is the oxygen good for something else? It means that mm, there's room for water or something else? Well, it, it is really that uh, the, the organisms that are best for plant growth tend to be the kind that use oxygen to breathe, like we do and like the plants do. So the soil that is good for plants is also generally good for the, for the uh, microbes that are in the soil around the plants. Um, and uh, yeah, so you, you want to make sure that the soil is well aerated. If it's compacted, you can use aeration techniques to try and get the oxygen down into the, into the soil. There are certain cover crops you can grow that can punch channels down into the soil, like uh, oilseed radish, for example, would potentially, uh, you, you might have heard of something called tillage radish, which is able to grow roots down into a soil and open up these channels uh, for drainage um, and helps to get water and, and oxygen down into the lower parts of the soil. Um, so yeah, things like that just to create a, a, a well oxygenated and, and uh, with ideal moisture levels. Um, uh, a soil that has those kinds of conditions that are good for plant uh, organisms to live in. So while you're creating a good home, so you mentioned you could be, you know, a top dressing with compost. That would help. You said you could do a cover crop. In my online um, certificate in fruit tree care, I, we, I interview you, actually. We talk about cover crops together and right. how to select them and things like that. Um, now, we have a question, actually, here from Nancy about compost. And she says... Can you talk about sugars in compost specifically? I have read that putting your old jams and jellies into your compost can be good and attract beneficial organisms. Is that true? It's great if it's true because I always make too much jam and jelly, she says. <laughs> now, I've never heard that. What, do you, what would you say to Nancy? Well, first of all, she should ask her friends and neighbors whether they want some jam and jelly. But um, seriously... Um, if you're, I, I would say any kind of uh, plant-based uh, foods can go into the compost, no problem. Um, I haven't specifically heard that jams and jellies are particularly good for attracting beneficials, but having that carbon, uh, like the sugar is a very easy to digest uh, carbon source. And generally speaking, the, the microbes that are living in compost really like uh, easy to digest carbon um, and uh, and so it can be a really nice thing to add to your compost as a you know you, you I think you'd have a hard time composting just jam and jelly by itself but as one of the ingredients along with the leaves and other uh, vegetable matter and coffee grounds and eggshells and all that other stuff that you might be putting out with your kitchen scraps I think it'd be great so okay so that's one of that's if people are making their own homemade compost and just uh, you had also mentioned in an earlier conversation, when you're creating a good home, people may want to play around with compost tea. Mm -hmm. Do you want to mention a little bit about that? Yeah, compost tea is one of those uh, products that that is sort of a combination uh, combination strategy. It it's primarily um, the third step of adding organisms directly to the soil, um, but it also contains. Uh, you know, depending on your recipe, you can really uh, add some food sources that are that are going to be attractive to specific kinds of organisms and get a particular outcome in the soil, or or um, to sort of target a specific type of organism in the soil. And so, compost tea is what is one of those ways that you can, you know, with care and attention and some proper management, you can brew up this kind of uh, recipe. Um, that you can add to the soil to get a particular type of organism balance in the soil. I would sort of caution people that it is possible to um, do it wrong. Um, 
because it does take, uh, you know, it's a little bit like looking after uh, kombucha culture or, um, you know, that kind of thing where you have to make sure that you're um, managing the, the, the fermentation process properly so that you have the, the kinds of organisms at the end that you actually want to add. Uh, the stakes aren't, you know, the stakes aren't crazy high. Uh, if you're using good ingredients, uh, the worst that could really happen is that you end up adding, you know, the, the organisms that have multiplied in the fermentation may be already dead by the time you apply it on the soil. Um, but if you're not careful and you're not using good ingredients, there would be the potential to introduce issues like I was mentioning earlier about, uh, you know, improperly composted uh, manures and things like that where you could get um, you could actually be putting a, a pathogenic organism that could make us sick uh, onto your garden. Right. So that, that's, that's just one of those things. Compost tea can be a really amazing thing, um, and it, it's really good for creating a real diversity of organisms for your soil um, and to, uh, to do that sort of thing. But if it's done improperly, um, you might not get, get the benefit of all the hard work, and uh, you may even you know, have potential to introduce some risks. Gotcha. So, okay, so step one was creating a good home. Now, step two, you mentioned, was stocking that home with food. So you've now improved your soil a little bit with organic matter and compost. What is stocking with food going to look like? Right. So the, the filling the fridge um, is basically about putting things into the soil that uh, are particularly, um, let's say, tasty to the organisms in the soil um, and that will be basically um, the, the soil food web is very diverse there are lots of different kinds of organisms in the soil and so you want to make sure that they have a very diverse uh, food supply as well um, so the compost is is really good for having like that complex um, it's a very complex substance it has lots of different kinds of things in it and so it will it will stimulate and be food for a lot of different kinds of organisms. But there are other things you can add along with the compost to, to really um, amplify the diversity and, and make sure that there's something for everyone in the soil. Um, things like, um, well, actually, we mentioned green manures already. So instead of just growing one thing, like uh, you know your, your standard grass on the surface above the tree, uh, roots, you could have a mixture of things growing underneath your fruit trees so that there are different kinds of roots growing in the soil. Uh, and those different kinds of roots can be a food source for different kinds of organisms. Um, another option would be things like rock dust. You may have heard of people talking about azomite or, um, you know, other kinds of volcanic rock dust. Um, People are starting to kind of experiment with and use these kinds of um, complex mineral sources. You know, they grind it up into a fine powder and they, they incorporate it into the soil. And those complex rock dusts become a, a food source for the organisms that would otherwise uh, be unavailable. Hmm. Yeah, um, so that's interesting. So the rock dust will have like minerals or something that these uh, little organisms want to eat? Yeah, that's right. So, I mean, if you think about, okay, so if you think about uh, our soils, especially the soils that, that we generally tend to live on, like in uh, agricultural areas that have been farmed for many years, or, you know, the deep soil, but it's also been subjected to a lot of rain and uh, leaching and stuff. So a lot of the trace elements and minerals uh, can get leached out of that soil over the thousands of years that the weather has been working on them. Um, and at the same time, if we're talking about um, growing trees and gardens in our uh, urban kind of landscapes, a lot of those soils, when the housing developments got built, um, most of the topsoil would have been scraped off to make it easier to build the houses. And they would only be replacing that with a bare minimum to get our Kentucky bluegrass mix uh, or some sort of typical sunshade mix. Um, to grow there uh, so everyone has their nice green grass. Um, but, you know, it's a very thin layer and, and everything below that would be pretty weathered by time. When mm -hmm. we add some of these volcanic rock dusts back, uh, those are, you know, lava comes from deep in the earth. It has a real complex mixture of trace minerals and elements, uh, you know, and, and uh, some of these really, um, you know, it might only be there in small amounts, but 
they're, uh, they're going to get incorporated into the bacterial and fungal biomass and then eventually taken up by the plant can do interesting things for flavor and stress tolerance and, and uh, things like that once it gets into the plant. So rock dust is an interesting food option. Uh, we'll talk about a few more, but we have a question here from Shaw. Hi, love the show from Louisville, Kentucky. So many things to know about dirt. Ha, huh, interesting. What's the main difference when you buy dark soil versus just garden soil? Is there a difference? I noticed that some bag soils are dark black and others are just a brown color. Thanks. Gosh, I wonder about that too. I, I've never really verbalized that, but it's an interesting question. Yeah. So, I mean, generally speaking, um, the 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 uh, the black color that gets into a soil comes from organic matter, and uh, you, you know the quintessential um, the quintessential black soil you know that we get in the Canadian prairies and in the the uh, north central plains of you know. North Dakota, South Dakota, and around in there, um, those soils are black because, you know, for thousands of years there was just grass growing there, and all of that uh, turnover of the roots in the soil turned into organic matter and, and built up that black organic material. Um, but there will be, uh, you know, the bagged soils won't just be, you know, harvested um, prairie soils. They're going to be um, probably a mixture of. Um, like sphagnum peat or regular uh, other kinds of peat moss. Um, and then, you know, there can be things like uh, uh, bark, bark mulch, and, uh, and then adding in certain ratios of sand, silt, and clay, and um, perlite and vermiculite and things like that to, to create their soil mix. Um, those soil mixes are, are basically manufactured from scratch with, uh, and, and because they're, uh, taking a specific type of organic material that comes from the bottom of a marsh, if it's, if it's a uh, peat-based mix, that peat will have its own color that will give the soil its, give that soil mix a, a, its, its color. Hmm. Um, but generally speaking, in a, in a garden scenario, the blacker or the darker the soil, the more organic matter there will be. Interesting. Okay, so we have another quick question from Bev. Hi, Susan. I love your show. I'm Bev listening from Hornpane, Ontario. My question is, would comfrey benefit the fruit trees either by planting it nearby or chop and drop around the fruit trees? Thanks. So, yeah, so her question is about comfrey, the plant, the perennial plant, and how that could affect the soil and improve the soil. Yeah, um, definitely like different kinds of co cover crops and, and uh, the, the mow and blow technique is a really good one and, and lots of different kinds of plants can, can provide that benefit. Um, and it's not just the above ground material that you blow onto the surface of the soil under the tree that will give benefit, but having the roots underground can also um, provide those, those benefits directly to the soil um, in terms of growing out into the zone where the, the tree roots are already growing and and attracting biological activity to them. Hmm. So I'd say, yeah, I mean, having mixtures of different kinds of plants uh, close to your trees can be good. I mean, obviously, uh, you don't want to set up, you know, major competition for nutrients and things, but having um, a good balance of, of diversity in the, in the sort of surface layers close to your fruit trees can be really useful. That sounds great. And this is a great moment for us to, to listen to a word from our sponsors, which is wonderful. So, Simon, you'll hang in there for a couple of minutes? Sure will. Okay. Well, you're listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show and Podcast brought to you by Stark Brothers Nursery and Orchards. This is Reality Radio 101, and I am your host, Susan Poisner of the Fruit Tree Care Training website, orchardpeople.com. In healthy soil, there's so much activity going on. Microorganisms thrive, and good bacteria feed on sugars that seep out of plant and tree roots. In return, these bacteria transform nutrients in the soil into fertility that our plants can enjoy. 
but what if you don't have perfect soil? Those friendly bacteria may not be active and your plants and trees may not thrive. There is a solution though. Earth Alive Soil Activator is an organic biofertilizer that contains three carefully selected bacterial strains that will make nutrients in the soil available to your plants. And your plant or tree will thank you with better growth and a better harvest. Earth Alive Soil Activator has been shown to boost yields in crops including avocados, grapes, strawberries, and even guavas. Go to earthalivect.com to learn more about it and let our friendly bacteria bring your growing spaces back to life. If you're thinking of planting fruit trees and you're looking for a wide selection of cultivars, consider Wiffle Tree Nursery. Our 62-page full-color catalog includes 300 varieties of fruit and nut trees, berries, grapes, and other edible perennial plants. Not only that, in our catalog, we help you through the selection process with tips and advice about all aspects of growing fruit trees. You can learn about adding nitrogen-fixing plants, rootstock choices, and even about planting a windbreak if you have a windy site. We're a one-stop shop as we sell fruit tree care books, pruning tools, organic sprays, and natural fertilizers. We're located in Alora, Ontario, but we can ship all over Canada. Call us at 519-669-1349 to order your catalog. That's 519-669-1349. Wiffle Tree Nursery. Call us today. Welcome back to the Urban Forestry Radio Show with your host, Susan Poisner, right here on Reality Radio 101. To get on board, send us an email right now. Our email address is instudio101 at gmail.com. And now, right back to your host of the Urban Forestry Radio Show, Susan Poisner. You're listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show, brought to you by Stark Brothers Nurseries and Orchards. This is Reality Radio 101, and I'm your host, Susan Poisner, of the Fruit Tree Care Training website, orchardpeople.com. Thank you for tuning in. In today's show, we've been talking about soil and how beneficial microorganisms in the soil can help your fruit trees and plants reach their full potential. If you missed the beginning of the show or if you want to listen to any other episodes, you can just download the podcast. It's at orchardpeople.com slash podcast. My guest today on the show is researcher, agronomist, and certified crop advisor Simon Newfeld of Earth Alive Clean Technologies, a company that develops and distributes microbial-based products for organic growers. And by the way, if you are listening to this show live, you have a couple more minutes to enter our contest and you can actually win a bag of soil activator from Earth Alive. So to enter the, con the contest, all you have to do is email us at instudio101 at gmail.com. Instudio101 at gmail.com. And just remember to include your first name and where you're writing from. So Simon is on the line. So Simon, we have talked about three steps to bringing these friendly organisms and bacteria and all these good creatures into the soil that will help to feed our plants to make them thrive. Step one was creating a good home. Step two, stocking it with food. We mentioned rock dust. There are other quick options maybe that you want to give people before we go to step three. What are a few other food items that you might want to put in your soil for those organisms? Well, just to name a few that people may have heard of already, um, one example would be liquid fish, um, and uh, especially liquid fish hydro hydrolysate, which is a cold-processed fish product that uh, basically it, it's like an exotic food for, for the organisms and, and really does stimulate them to... Uh, to increase their level of activity and also to uh, increase the diversity of organisms in the soil. Um, and another one would be seaweed. Um, it's, for some reason, putting things from the ocean into our terrestrial soils has some really interesting and cool effects on our plants, um, maybe because, you know, the adaptations for, of plants like seaweed in the, in the, to survive in the ocean 
um, really bring some interesting effects into uh, into land plants. But those would be two things that a lot of people uh, are using uh, on their plants to stimulate the biology in the soil and also to stimulate their plants directly. Okay, so you've got a whole bunch. You've got a great place for the organisms. You've got some food there, so it's welcoming for them. Tell me now about step three. Yeah, so we've already talked about um, compost tea as a really interesting way to bring diversity and, and, and uh, populations of, of organisms into the soil. Um, and that is something you can do on a small scale with a five-gallon bucket and a, a, an aquarium pump. Um, you can also scale it up, and, and there are people doing it in 200-liter barrels, um, and you know you can get kits for a thousand liter, you know, two hundred and five gallon those big cute liquid cubes. Um, and so, and there are recipes out there. They're easy to find uh, searching on the internet. Um, if you're not interested in in messing around with that kind of stuff, um, there are other strategies. And one would be to use um, something that's commercially available off the shelf uh, and contains beneficial organisms um, in the bag or in the jug. Um, and two, two things I would sort of uh, mention, one that you'll see on the shelves are, is the mycorrhizal fungi. Um, and basically that's putting this beneficial symbiotic fungi into the soil um, to make sure that when the tree is planted, um, it has that extension of its roots into the soil that, that will allow it to access the nutrients in the soil much better. Um, and we can maybe talk about that in more detail if you're interested. Um, and the other one that you'll see on the shelves will be bacteria-based. And uh, that would be more like, uh, well, for example, the soil activator that our company manufactures um, is a, uh, a blend of bacteria that are, are chosen because they're able to uh, solubilize nutrients in the soil and break down the, basically unlock the nutrients from organic matter and, uh, and the uh, rock dust and the fertilizers that are getting added to the soil. See, what always baffles me about this stuff, your activator and people call it biofertilizers, right? Mm -hmm. So if you buy a container of this, you know, it's kind of weird. Like there's this, let's say, powdery stuff in there. And you're telling me that that stuff is live organisms? Are they dormant? Are they dehydrated? And somehow they'll come back to life? Like, it's right. just a weird idea to think you can sprinkle some of these live organisms. And like, how, how are they alive if they're in a container? Right. Well, I, these uh, these organisms have evolved over uh, the millennia in order to, so that they can survive in, in very harsh environments. And one of the things they do is form these very durable, rugged, what we call spores. Um, and in their spore form, they can they can survive um, being dried down into a powder form. Uh, and they're basically waiting like a seed, um, and. Uh, and they're waiting in that seed for the conditions to be good enough again for them to sort of wake up to reactivate and start multiplying again. So basically that powder, as long as you keep it, um, keep it stored in a dry place without too much moisture, uh, without direct sunlight, um, those kinds of things, uh, when it comes time to adding it to your soil, then you add some moisture, you get the oxygen, you get the warmth, and they will wake up and they will start multiplying in the soil. So when is the best time? So let's say, you know, I must say we have done experiments with com compost tea in our house, and uh, it is pretty fussy. So let's say I wanted to add a biofertilizer. Does it matter what time of year I do it or how much I apply or, you know, what are, what are the directions right. for me? Um, generally speaking, each product will have its own uh, optimal recommendations um, based on the, the density of organisms that are in the product and, and uh, the format that it's, the, the way that it's formulated. With mycorrhizal fungi, um, generally speaking, if the timing is good for planting the tree, then the timing is probably good for using the inoculation. So the mycorrhizae um, is a one-time-in-the-for-the-life-of-the-plant kind of treatment. 
um, you can apply it basically at the time that you're putting the tree in the soil, and that will just make sure that that symbiotic relationship is established at the beginning, and it will continue to sustain itself and and uh, um, and continue as long as the tree is there. Uh, if you miss that chance and you have a tree and you're wondering, you know, you planted it last year and you forgot, or you know, now I've just told you you should use it, so you're going to go and get some. Um, it's not too late. You can add it. Um, basically, the idea would be to, to add it at the in the spring, so that it has a good season-long uh, opportunity to establish its its symbiosis before the tree goes dormant again in the winter. And then on the uh, on the bacterial side, uh, different products will have different recommendations. Uh, our soil activator is a one-time per year application, and we generally say that that people should use it in the spring, so that. Um, the bacteria can wake up and multiply in the, in the root zone and provide their benefits over as much of the season as possible. Um, there are other products that will require that, you know, applications be made once every two weeks or something just to kind of be, maybe because the way they're formulated, they, they aren't able to sustain themselves in the soil. Um, and actually there are some products that are where the organisms they're selling aren't actually evolved to survive in a good aerated soil, they're, they're, uh, they're going to die off once they're added, and so you need to keep reapplying in order to maintain their population. Hmm. Um, it's interesting. We only have a couple of minutes left, and then we are going to uh-huh. find out who wins the contest. But I just want to say that it feels to me like the word biofertilizer, it wasn't really in our, our sort of language so much until maybe, what, 10 years ago or something. So this is kind of a newer technology or a newer concept when it comes to gardening or growing fruit trees is that is that the case or yeah i would say i mean there are there are biological technologies that people farmers have been using for hundreds of years um but really we are at the front edge of a wave uh it's kind of a new era in growing plants where we talk about the biological um you know managing the biology of the soil directly for sure so it's interesting. Well, Simon, I'm so happy to have you on the show. And you and I have chatted before for my e-learning, and I'm sure we will chat again uh, one day. But thank you so much for taking the time. Oh, but before you go, you have to help me here. Okay. I have a little bucket with the entries into our contest. So I'm going to put right. my hand in the bucket, and I want you to tell me. I'm just going to touch the entries, and I want you to tell me when to stop, and then I'll choose the name. You're going to tell me when to go, when you're starting? I'm starting right now. Okay. Stop. Okay. Okay. Let's see. Let's see. That was that was definitive. That was definitive. Your stop. <laughs> and so here we go. Oh, my goodness. Our winner is Bev from Hornpain, Ontario. Yay, Bev. Congratulations. So congratulations. That's really nice. And I know Bev is a regular listener. I know she's always sends in good questions. So I think she deserves some really nice biofertilizer product to check out. Bev, you keep in touch and tell us how it goes for you when you apply it. So uh, we will write Bev and get her details and then Earth Alive will send you your prize. So thank you again, Simon, for being on the show. And I'm really pleased to have Earth Alive as a sponsor on the show too. I'm very careful when I pick my sponsors. I only pick the best companies. So I'm happy that- It's a pleasure joining you today. (laughs) A lot of fun. Good, I'm glad. Okay, you take care. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. So that was researcher, agronomist, and certified crop advisor Simon Neufeld of Earth Alive Clean Technologies, a company that develops and distributes microbial-based products for organic growers. And that's it for today's episode of the Urban Forestry Radio Show. I hope you had fun and learned something. And if you want to listen again or download other episodes, you can find everything at orchardpeople.com slash podcast. And if you want me to teach you some amazing fruit tree care skills that will help your trees thrive, just sign up for one of my courses at orchardpeople.com workshops. My courses are great for both beginner and intermediate level growers. You can also check out my book at orchardpeople.com book. You've been listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show brought to you by Stark Brothers Nurseries and Orchards. This is Reality Radio 101. And I'm Susan Poisner. Thanks so much for tuning in, and I look forward to digging into a new fruit tree care topic with you next month.
You've been listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show on Reality Radio 101. To learn more about the show and to download the podcast where I cover lots more great topics, you can visit orchardpeople.com slash podcast. The show is broadcast live on the last Tuesday of every month. And each time I have great new guests talking to me about fruit trees, food forests, and arboriculture. If you're interested in learning more about growing your own fruit trees or just about living a more sustainable life, go to orchardpeople.com and sign up for my information-packed monthly newsletter. If you like this show, please do like our Orchard People Facebook page. You can also follow me on Twitter at at Urban Fruit Trees. Thank you so much for tuning in. It's been wonderful to have you as a listener, and I hope to see you again next time. Thank you for listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show with your host, Susan Poisner, right here on Reality Radio 101.